You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies. What are you? Ethnic Warbling Edition. Can't believe Hans Zimmer is bringing that back. What an absolute jerk. I hate ethnic warbling. I hated it in Gladiator. I hated it in District 9. I hated every single movie. Black Hawk Down. There was like this whole spate of early Audi thrillers and like your, your Syriana with George Clooney where they're like, let's make it serious by having some ethnic lady warble. And I, I, I honestly cannot believe that we're bringing it back for Dune, which is the movie that we're talking about. Denny Villeneuve's immortal masterpiece, Dune. Hmm. I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. And we have... Is he the Kwisatz Satarak? I don't know. Maybe. People look at me that way sometimes. Right. They, they mumble things under their breath. I assume that's what they're mumbling. Right. A, a band of like uh, mystical, creepy nuns has been crossing bloodlines for <laughs> millennia in order to achieve you. So <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> that's something. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Ben Solzer, folks. He's the uh, preacher who's a teacher of cinema and... We have a, we have actually have two potential wow. potential potential quiz hats sat, sat hatteracks <laughs> or is it like Chalupa's Supreme where you say Quizats's hatterack? We have two of them today. Ben, would you like to introduce the other potential person who will bring balance to the universe and start a, a blood reign of uh, holy war terror? Yeah. Jake Mansell. <laughs> Call me the, my deep. <laughs> the mouse. Yeah. The mouse. All right. Did anyone say my deep in this movie? Surely they did. Uh, they did, but it didn't sound like it. They they had a different I word. Thought. They had they said something like Lua Deep. I Yeah. And it I was wasn't weird. clear. It I wasn't clear what was happening. Yeah. yeah I wasn't I, clear either. I was with the movie until they said Lua Deep and then I was like zero stars. <laughs> That broke it for you, huh? Yeah. Yep. Well, this is, uh, what is there to say? It's it's Denny Villeneuve's Dune for, for a certain subset of nerds, I think including the three of us, the most anticipated film of the year. True. True. And Although I guess the new Spider-Man movie may be slightly more anticipated. Well, well now, certainly but... after seeing Dune. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I don't know. I was, I was looking forward the most to Dune easily. I think I was too, yeah. I think... I was looking forward to Dune. I'm not looking After forward life. to that. I, uh, uh, I don't like being... <laughs> I might be, be willing to see it. Dune. I don't like being... What's the word? Flattered. Flattered. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or sucked up to, or... You remember, you feel emotions about the fact that you grew up with Ghostbusters, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Get out of my brain. <laughs> if, the, if the trailer had a single laugh in it, that would go a long way towards making me excited about this Ghostbusters thing. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like, we all remember the nostalgia of the, the, the thing Stay that... Stay puff Marshmallow Man. Here's right. a bunch of cute little ones. Yeah. Well, that's lame. And then just, I don't know, just the fact that they're being all emotional about it. It's like, Bill Murray doesn't remember that movie. He was high on coke. Nobody... The, the original Ghostbusters is such a sloppy movie. And mm-hmm. that's part of it. That's that's part of the fun. But to act like it's this this institution is just... it's It's the... It's the wrong way to extend the franchise, in my humble opinion. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm more excited about seeing that movie than I am t- rehearsing any aspect of this Dune movie. So, yeah. 
I hope it's I hope it's fun. I hope it is fun. I hope hope it's good. I'm not that excited about it, but I'm willing you know, to give it a shot. So I think I like it. I think I think I'll probably cry when they have some CGI ghost of Harold Ramis show up. But I'm 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 angry about the fact that I like it, and, and I'm angry about the the Harold Ramis ghost and the fact that his stupid state probably licensed that, and just the the whole thing uh, makes me so angry. It's it's arguably the most angering thing that's happening in society or culture today. <laughs> Ghostbusters colon afterlife comma dawn of justice can't stand it okay and speaking of things that we can't stand it was fine it was fine it was not fine it was fine nope we'll, we'll, we'll the only there. reason you say it's fine is because i came out so hot that if is if i hadn't come out so hot you would have come out hotter uh, I, i'm gonna bet i'm closer to jake than nathan but we'll see well, let's let's give. Uh, should we give our baggage? I guess. Yeah, uh, baggage. Sure. Baggage yeah. away. Yeah, baggage. Ben, why don't you start? I think you have Me. the longest history with Dune of any Do of I? us. Yeah. Wow, I read Dune. I think as a preteen and then as a teen, I read it two or three times, and I liked it. It was fun. It was weird. There was stuff that went over my head, obviously, when I was a preteen. Mm. Probably stuff that went over my head later. And then I remember reading God Emperor of Dune <laughs> next in the series for some reason, which is a very bizarre and grotesque book about how Paul, spoilers, Paul's son Leto becomes a giant sandworm man in order to save the race. And it's all about like, I mean, it's like. Paul doesn't become a sandworm? No, he does not. Paul becomes, Paul becomes a, a blind, blind prophet messiah. And, oh, right. That's a blind right. prophet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and walks into the desert, which is yeah. which is actually a pretty cool place for Paul to end in my humble opinion. Yeah, it is a, it's a pretty cool place for Paul, I guess. But it is a very cold and alienating book about manipulating other people for the greater good and how at the end of the day, all you're left with, the most moral characters are just manipulating other people for the greater good and that's all that they do. And uh, so, it was it was gross. I don't know why Frank I Herbert even had a lot to say it. about politics. Not yes, he did. Not much else. Frank no, Herbert, would you, the one no. thing that you will realize as you read those sequels is that <laughs> Frank right. Herbert's interests were probably not the same as yours. Frank no. Herbert accidentally gave you something that you really liked in the first Dune, but yes. he was not interested in the the kind of adventure and chosen one, mystery and, you and know. lore. Yeah, but he shows. sure he sure put a ton into it. Well, he he played with it, right? Like he yeah. used the tropes, he used the Joseph Campbell of it all to tell his political story first and kick off of a franchise that allowed him to then riff on politics well as, as yeah. a, a mutual friend of yeah. ours likes to say that frank, frank herbert's one trick and as you read more of his novels which i've read four or five of them uh, you see this his one trick is hey remember that guy you liked he's hitler now and i think that 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 is every so paul becomes the the holy war emperor of all this bloodshed in the second dune book and then uh, cheney the uh, not cheney Aaliyah, the the little girl becomes a, a monster gets possessed by Baron Harkonnen and becomes a tyrant. And then Paul's son, little Leto, becomes the god emperor, a, a giant tyrannical worm that likes to talk about politics for 500 pages of a very boring novel. And it's basically every book is uh, Lady Jessica ends up trying to have Paul assassinated. Like Frank Herbert was just fascinated with Remember that the person? Big of it all? Yeah, well, and just like the kind of it's like he read, you know, the decline and fall of the Roman Emperor Empire, and he just liked the parts where people 
betray their closest uh-huh. kin and have them murdered and thought like right. isn't that cool and all for all for the like how do you produce the best version of humanity like he looks he likes questions like that right plays with them but he really leaned in for dune he leaned into the melodrama mm-hmm. even in the way he uses little not epigrams what am i looking for he'll he'll do that novelist world building trick where he quotes you excerpts from books yeah. in the universe even in some of the stuff he quotes he's leaning into the melodramatic heroism of it all in a way that I loved as a kid. You know, something like... It's cool. It, it is said on the Duke that... On the night that Duke Leto died, the moon was He's darkened. He's quoting from future and, histories yeah. and things like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of really it's, cool stuff. It's really cool. And well, it, it uh, coalesces in Dune. Ben's favorite angry Marxist critic, Walter Cha, loved yeah. this new Dune movie. And he, and I his, didn't even read Cha's review. I didn't well, want to see it. Well, his re- well, the only thing that was really interesting about his review is that he talked about how much he loved Dune as a kid. And I thought he had a nice way of describing it. And he said, reading the original Dune novel for him, as, a, as it was the first time that he felt that, that weight of bygone eras. Yeah. He, he described it as arriving at a dock and seeing that the most beautiful ship in the world that you would love to be on has already, is already sailing away. Mm-hmm. And he said reading the diaries and the histories of Princess Cerulean oh. and all that stuff gave him that feeling in a way that, uh, of course, Walter Shaw is the most pretentious guy in the world. But he says only Proust, Proust later gave him the same feeling, which Proust famously eats his little orange tea cakes or whatever and then yep. remembers this world that's now gone. And mm-hmm. so as you read the book, you have the sense of history that's passed and in an era that you you as a reader will never really be able to grasp or enter into. But you can look at it kind of nostalgically. and. Dune, the, the original Dune discover novel. Discover it, discover yeah. aspects of it. Yeah. That's what I got from Tolkien before I got it from Dune, from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think That's Lord what of I the... got from Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not to be a jerk, but I... Yeah, yeah Peter Jackson. <laughs> Not to be a jerk, but <laughs> let me adjust my monocle and go out rat you a bit, Jake. <laughs> the very idea. The very idea. <laughs> my dear boy. <laughs> um, <coughs> yeah, well, dude, Peter Jackson does, or Peter Jackson, Peter Tolkien Jackson. does that very nicely, the sense of history and the sense of... All know, the most beautiful parts are gone. Right. <laughs> Uh, Dune, the original Dune novel, I'd say the sequel's less and less, but the original yeah. Dune novel yeah, does yeah, a nice yeah. job with that sense of this is this was this was a pivotal moment in history. We're not we're sort of simultaneously living it, but we're also looking back. Yeah. I mean Star Wars did that to some extent. Yeah, I think the prequels and the the universe building has been a double-edged sword for Star Wars in that sense because the more you build out the history, the less the history has the feeling of this forgotten yep. lore, but certainly in the original trilogy you kind of feel like all the Anakin stuff is is this Yeah, there's all kinds of wild there was a time when Jedi did the thing and there was this thing called the Clone Wars and all the ships are like falling apart and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything looks old and, you know, it's all, it all looks really cool, but man, wouldn't it have been cool to see it in its glory days? Right. And Lucas didn't quite find a way to bridge, bridge us into that world. He sort of did, but yeah, you, you imagine so a really, much. a really talented filmmaker might actually set the prequel trilogy in flashback or, or give us a way to feel the weight of, oh, wow, we're going back to the old Republic and seeing what it's like. This is, this is cool. I never thought I'd. You know, you don't really get much of the, that feeling in the 
in the prequels. You actually, actually, to give credit where credit's due, DJ Abrams does a better job with that in Force Awakens of there's this whole awesome world of Star Wars that, you know, happened in between the cracks and now Luke Skywalker is gone and he's a legend mm-hmm. and everybody talks about it and mm-hmm. you feel some of that weight. We meet, well, in one of the first scenes of the movie, we meet the old survivor of Alderaan. Right. The Max von Sydow character. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. So many simple things that George Lucas could have done with the prequels if mm-hmm. he'd had the, if he was a good filmmaker rather than a good visionary. But in any case, we're not here to litigate that. So you grew up with Dune. You really yeah. liked the original novel. I, and I was always the kid who, when I read <clears throat> a book I liked and reread it, I was actually directing the movie in my head. I was imagining how the scene should feel. Mm-hmm. Like to make you feel the because I I just Herbert uh, Herbert was really good at least in the first Dune at painting that kind of cinematic picture and almost inviting you to figure out how to visually capture the characters' inner worlds right in in a way that good action melodrama stories can do. Tolkien's good at that too. At least he was for me or whatever. I just brought my imagination to it and just wanted to see it a certain way on screen. And I I've learned <laughs> I've learned to give give up that adolescent expectation of a filmmaker doing that for me Mm -hmm. because filmmakers are their own people with their own ways of imagining. But I was certainly hoping that Denis Villeneuve would come a little closer, but he's not a filmmaker who is able to evoke much of anything. He just shows. Or no, sorry. I'm sorry. He tells. tells. His showing is all telling and it's never showing and it's 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 rarely evocative, even though boy is he trying. <laughs> well, it's weird. He tells by show it. He's he's such a weird. It's yeah. yeah. It's weird. It's it, it's really sad. His I found it really sad and frustrating. Yeah, but we'll get to it. Well, Jake, what's your baggage with Dune? I read Dune for the first time what a year ago for the booking. Yeah, and it would have been around this time of the year. Yeah, it's mm. about a year ago, and I had a lot of fun with that book. I really enjoyed it, and. You said something interesting to me at the time, which is you were like a minute away from ordering the second book and then you read the last chapter of Dune and you were like, eh. Yep, that's exactly right. I forget what about the last chapter made me go, eh. But The last chapter is pretty deflating, as I recall, because they they beat the bad guys and it's all kind of fun and stuff. But then he ends it on some weird note with like, you shall be Paul's concubine and I'm, you know, the Duke's old concubine. We're wives now. Right. History will... But history, Channy, history will remember us as wise. Yeah, it's such a yeah, lame, like, dorky. <laughs> it was such a, yeah. I was really close. I was excited. I really enjoyed that entire book and was ready to stay in that world. Mm. And yeah, something about. It's a stuff. tell. It's it's the first big tell that, oh, Frank Herbert, in the way he ends this book, he's 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 cool. interested in something no. besides what the yeah. average reader of this book is interested in. He's he really cared about the sex politics. I thought that was just window dressing. No, yep. he no, he cared. He thought it was important. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then it was just like this sense of wait a minute, am I really going to give that much more time to this world? Probably not worth it. Actually, you are correct. You were correct. So I, so I backed off of it. Mm-hmm. That was a smart. I would say Children of Dune, which is the second novel, is eh, somewhat worth reading. It's third. Third. Sorry. Dune Messiah. Yeah, Dune Messiah. Sorry. Children of Dune. Yeah, Dune Messiah actually kind of functions as just part four of, you know, if if, if the original Dune is divided into three books, one, two, 
Dune Messiah kind of feels like eh, it's just an extension or an epilogue. But but yes, this the whole series quickly so devolves. I really enjoyed it, and I have been looking forward to this movie ever since. Excited about it, and the trailers only got me more hype and excited because the trailers look awesome. The casting is awesome. It just felt like he couldn't really lose. You'd have to work hard to You'd mess have this to up. Work yeah. hard to mess it up with the cast and with the cinematography that he had already shown in the trailers, and it just felt like. Everybody had signed on to say, Star Wars, Marvel, screw <laughs> Move over. We're going to make an actual good movie that's actually beautiful and that's actually got some weight to it. And we've got the actors in play. We've got all of the Star Wars actors and all the Marvel actors, and we're actually going to let them act. We've got this whole world, and we're going to build it out, and we're going to make it awesome, and we're going to make Star Wars feel small. And we're going to make Marvel feel chintzy. And so I was, I was really excited. Mm. And I was coming to the movie for a good time and to enjoy it. I was prepared for it to be humorless because both Dune and Villeneuve are humorless people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Herbert and Villeneuve are humorless people. I was prepared for it to be melodramatic. I didn't have any illusions about that. And I was still still managed to be horribly disappointed horribly disappointed <sighs> what a waste of life i don't know that i i rise to the level of active anger that you have about it but we'll get there yeah. my my baggage with dune is i tried to read it several times when i was about the age that ben did read it and i could never get through it because i just got bogged down in the world building like the mm-hmm. i don't know i was very into what was i into I was I, I I have I have always thought that genre stuff should transcend genre, and I think I've gotten a little softer on that in my old age. Like I'm like okay, it's a Marvel movie, so I guess it should just do what Marvel movies do. It doesn't have to be Casablanca. But at, the, at this period in my life, I was like, why why shouldn't it be Casablanca? And Dune is not Casablanca. Dune is just Dune. It's a very good genre piece, but it does not have dialogue or character or any or descriptive descriptive powers that transcend genre they may be the one of the best examples of genre ever but i like the style of dune i think it at the very least uh, we're talking about herbert yeah Mm -hmm. at the very least doesn't get in the way yeah of the story he's trying to tell which is an art in and of itself i think it's pretty artfully done as a genre as a genre piece i I don't have any complaints about the the style, the writing style of that book, if I recall. Go listen to the book and prove me wrong. But. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a bad. It's 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 functional. It's fine. It gets the job done, and it rises to some some good heights. Well, and what I the, the action is some of the best action I've ever read in a written form. Yeah, and that's something that villain or uh, Herbert never really does again, besides one uh, laser tiger chase. Which yes, laser tigers are a thing in the Dune universe. Yeah, they're just basically tigers, but uh, really okay. scary alien tigers. Uh, Herbert never really gives you that kind of action again in the later Dune books. I, I seem to recall something in Children of Dune, but maybe I misremember. I think that's the laser tigers. Huh. They release. Uh, they come after Leto and his sister, whatever the the twins. Yeah. Okay. Um, Elias' children. Yes, but yeah, Dune. Dune is a fun action book, and the sequels are not. No, they are not, and yeah, it's it's. 
it's weird. The, 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 the writer actually remind those sequels remind me of is Michael Crichton, who was like, I'll give you a dinosaur attack every 150 pages. If everything else can just be Ian Malcolm lecturing about chaos theory. So you read the like Jurassic park. It is functionally a chapter book of chaos theory. Like it's, it's just put into dialogue form but it really doesn't do much to disguise itself but then somebody's yeah. guts will get ripped out by velociraptors just when your attention starts to flag or whatever so i never read dune as a kid could never get into it i don't know when it came to supernatural fiction i was always willing to forgive lack of character and style just to get that gem of oh that's a really cool idea but with sci-fi I was never willing to do that. I think when I got a little older, I finally realized, oh, actually, sci-fi is exactly the same as as horror in that you're there for the idea. You're not there for the style. You're not there for the characters. And so if it a lot of times style and characters can actually get in the way of <coughs> the idea, you know, you you we just uh, reviewed HP and HP Lovecraft story on the bookening and his style is terrible, but you wouldn't have it any other way because it's the best style to evoke the thing the awe of mm-hmm. this monstrous yeah, cthulhu beast that he, he wants to yeah. it works and especially works uh read out loud yeah actually yeah mm. yeah exactly uh and the same thing is true of edgar Allan poe you, you wouldn't want him to be less purple because he wouldn't have been able to achieve the kinds of effects Tell, telltale heart doesn't work if it's written by hemingway it just doesn't work that was something i did i understood with horror never really understood with sci-fi but so wasn't willing to forgive dune Finally read it for the bookening, enjoyed it, ended up reading a bunch of the other novels just because I, I wanted another hit of Dune, but Frank Herbert did not want to give me what I wanted. I guess we should talk Denny Villeneuve baggage because that's important to, for me at least. Do you have Denny Villeneuve baggage? <laughs> what have I seen then? by Denny Villeneuve? I mean, I have some, yeah. I saw you. Jake has none. What'd you say? I said Arrival. Oh, yeah. Blech. I've seen Arrival. A much better movie than than Dune. That, that actually may be true. Arrival is much more compelling. It's much more emotional. Even on it, ah, this is weird it's to got say, more but... Heart. It's got more... It feels like it has more humor. action. Yeah, it's got... Well, it's got more tension. It's got... That's that's what he does better. Tension, yeah. even the way he edits things mm-hmm. for yep. tension is better in that movie. And yeah. Now, I hate that movie because I hate its theme. I hate its fatalism. It just, it just makes me want to stomp on it. Yeah. And throw it in the trash. But I, I had a very visceral reaction to Arrival. Like, I, I actually got really angry at Arrival. Which in some ways is the mark of its success. It wanted to provoke you and it, it did. It accomplished a thing. Yeah. It, it accomplished a thing. I think that thing it is not... It realized the vision. I think that vision is not worth realizing. I, I, I hate Arrival and I'll, I'll talk about that. But but, yeah. but it is a better movie in, in the way we're talking about. Right. It's anyway, a better movie. I'd rewatch it before I ever went back and rewatched this game movie. I I hate to say it, but that's probably true for me. But it would just make me angry, so I I wouldn't rewatch. Mm. I mean, so I saw Denny Villeneuve's Prisoners, and that mm. Prisoners I actually like, and it's and it's bizarre, ugly, weird, melodramatic, cold. I I don't know how how else to describe his movies except throwing all these adjectives together. Mm-hmm. He is actually a very in the way he constructs his characters, it's very, they're very sentimental and emotion driven, mm-hmm. always. But he's a very cold filmmaker. The film stands outside of them. It does. Yeah. And it's, 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 a, it's an odd effect. It's not like Capra where everyone's emotional and so is Capra. Mm-hmm. You watch It's a Wonderful Life, you're going to get emotional too. It's not like Nolan where no one's emotional and neither is Nolan. And so yeah. you're not going to feel anything except accidentally. 
intellectually. Intellectually. But no, Denis Villeneuve is about like people capturing people at the extremes of human emotion and, and sentiment and being a very cold and cerebral filmmaker about it. Mm. I liked Prisoners, which I don't necessarily recommend. It's, it's a weird film that is about sexual abuse of children. That's one of those movies that wants to peer into the abyss a little it bit. Is, it is. It, and by the way, it never actually, that's not actually, what I just said is not part of the plot. The whole movie is like a veiled, there's like a veiled metaphor for what it's actually about in the whole movie. It's not very veiled. It's, anyway, that's what it's about, I would say. And I, I can't remember any other, I've seen bits of his Blade Runner. Sicario is the other. I've seen Sicario. Yeah. yeah Sicario's, I don't know. Sicario's kind of just an ugly film about <laughs> Ugly violence and how if you're violent, you die. Mm-hmm. It's very well done. And your wife and children die. That's the big and your twist wife in and, Sicario. Spoilers. Yeah, and your wife and children die. And it was ugly and I don't feel like it taught me anything <laughs> or, or gave me any insight into violence, which it clearly wanted to. It wanted to be profound. So, so I know Villain is always swinging for the fences. He wants to be profound and he... His film, his films take themselves very seriously. Mm-hmm. They give you the message. We're profound. Every image in my movie is constructed because I have a thought. There's going to be cellos in the background. Yeah, and, and ponderous. I, you are watching something. It's, it's profound. ponderous. ponderous. It's, it's ponderous. But what it what it made me? I'm just going to go ahead and say this real quick. What what watching Dune made me think of is, man, I would really like to watch a watchable Stanley Kubrick film about now, because Kubrick actually is what you pretend to be. Kubrick actually is ahead of his audience. He actually is thinking. Even if you hate him, I don't think you can deny that Kubrick absolutely, he's, he, he inhabits all the layers of abstraction that Villeneuve is pretending to Well, and Kubrick never, I, I just keep thinking about 2001. That's a movie where you're never inside, what's the guy's name, Dave or Who whatever. Who even the, knows? The, the astronaut. I mean, yeah, it yeah. doesn't even matter. Uh, it does not matter. The, the most likable character and the one that you feel the most sympathy is Hal the robot when That's he's right. when he's yep. being deactivated and yes like, don't True. turn me off dave please. please dave but kubrick knows exactly how much you're invested in that character and what he represents and the fact that you don't feel much of anything for the astronaut is intentional is intentional um and, and you don't have to love 2001 but Kubrick actually is an alien being. Right. Kubrick is doing what he intends to do, and he's getting about the reaction out of you that he intends to get. And if you're bored by it, then Kubrick's not... Uh, he doesn't su- care. He's not he's, surprised he's by that. He's completely unfazed, and he... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it's probably unfair to compare Villeneuve to Kubrick, just because I don't think... I don't actually think Villeneuve's trying to be Kubrick, but whatever he's trying to be... Well, I don't, don't think he's very good at it. I don't know. You got any... Uh, Thoughts about Villeneuve in general, Jake, baggage? I've only seen Arrival. I haven't seen Zicario or Prisoners or any Blade Runner movie. And so, my only baggage is Arrival. And I thought I thought that if Dune, which is a much more grand, it lent itself to the, pers- to the aesthetic of and the mindset of the person who made Arrival pretty well. And I thought it could be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was wrong. Yep. <laughs> well, so I hate Denny Villeneuve. I've never liked one of his movies. I think I Dune was maybe the closest I came to liking one just because it was pretty. I didn't I didn't like 
Arrival, but I didn't hate it as much as you guys. I really hated Arrival. Mm -hmm. I hate the choice that Amy Adams makes. I mean, I do have the same, I think, reaction to, like, it's an immoral choice that, yeah, yeah you can't. But I, li I liked the monsters. I liked, I liked oh, the yeah. fact that they got named Abbott and Costello. I thought yeah. that was appropriately dorky and, I don't know, for as humorless as a movie as that was, that was kind of fun. Like, and when Abbott dies, it's like, oh. Arrival is the only one that yep. I would be tempted to go it was back to. It's got some heart. It, it does. It actually does. I, I think I, I think I should probably try Arrival again, even though I know I'll hate the ending, because I think I probably would like the first two thirds a lot better. I liked um, the first two thirds a lot. I think the first two thirds are pretty fun. And I, pretty cool. The mystery of it all was well evoked. The, the, the language, all that stuff was really beautifully done. Mm. The weird obelisk spaceship was yep. different and new yes. and fresh at the time. And there was just a lot of... Uh, the idea of going into it in this like weird gravity chamber, all the steps were, I thought, well thought out and fun and cool. And yeah, but if you went back to it, you'd be putting up with a lot of here's Forrest Whitaker as the oh, evil know, military guy. I know, and, like, I know that, but how many movies are that? It's, I, it's, it's a movie that l lives well in the imagination and in the memory. I will, I will fully grant you. Like, I, I, I like thinking about that movie maybe better than I liked seeing it because hmm. all the stuff you just said the the just the, the way that it's done the spaceship the being inside that chamber the, the little tentacles coming out on the glass or whatever it's it's all really evocative i thought cool. it was evocative and well done just in terms of the visualizations of it all and all of that together with the world that herbert's already built that villeneuve didn't have to invent mm -hmm. but just had to realize i thought Plus, it's a hero's journey. Right. For goodness sake, like I Star know, Wars I is know. so bad. Mm. Star Wars is so bad, but because it's a hero's journey, it works. So, like, you give this guy who sucks so bad mm -hmm. a hero's journey story and all of this cool world sandbox to play in, and it's like, I don't know how he messes it up. And then you see the casting and you're like, yeah. Like, even if he messes up the script, everybody here is going to elevate this. Right. Oscar Isaacs is going to elevate it. I, it just, everyone, everybody is going to, every single person he cast is cast to elevate this movie. And it's not like any of them fall down on the job, but he's None just, of them fail. Well, unless you don't like uh, uh, Rachel or uh, Rebecca, 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 whatever her name Ferguson. is. She's, oh, she's, she's, she's very fine. much herself. I thought and she was don't, the best thing in the movie. I, I really liked her. Yeah, well, I thought the best thing in the movie was freaking Jason Momoa. J Jason Momoa, because he yeah, was the only person too. who seemed happy to be there. And I don't know if he was happy to be there as an actor or his character, Duncan Idaho, was allowed to be happy well, to I be think, there. Well, I think his character was allowed to be happy I think the, I, I would say both of those characters feel like they exist outside of the scenes that they're in. You don't have to love Lady Jessica, but she feels like a human being. Yeah. And so does Duncan Idaho. And those are the only two Yep. So, so let me just get my baggage about Denny Villeneuve because it'll lead us into the discussion because I think he's doing the same stupid thing that he does in every one of his movies. I, he is one of my most hated filmmakers. I have never, <laughs> I've never liked a movie. I despise Prisoners. I think it's terrible. Jake Gyllenhaal's fun in it. But so I've seen a bunch of his movies. I've seen Polytechnic, an early uh, huh. movie he made about like one of those Columbine type things. And it's, it's just the same crap. It's like all in black and white and did, very serious. Did and you see his, is it called The Doppelganger? Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that, which okay. I don't recommend. It's very sexual. 
I've seen Sicario and Arrival. I don't know why I keep watching this guy's movies because everybody says everybody loves him and he's so acclaimed. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I want to understand. Well, it's it's the same thing as Nolan. Just to interject real quick, you watch one of his trailers. It's very similar to Nolan. You, you watch one of his trailers and you're like, big idea movie, perfectly calibrated visuals. Right. You're interested. Big name stars doing something interesting. Every about, trailer. The thing about Nolan is I don't like Nolan. I think he's a hack. I don't think that his visuals are that great. I don't yeah. think his action scenes are good. Nolan no. always fails on every conceivable level. Sometimes his failures are minor and the movie itself works in spite of them. But mm-hmm. Nolan doesn't even know how to do an action scene despite his fame for doing action scenes. No, uh, so so I just, uh, Nolan, I'm just like, I, I don't, whatever. Except for Memento, maybe. Yeah. But Denny Villeneuve, he's obviously a, a really talented guy. He yep. always works with the best cinematographers. I, I enjoy the feeling and the vibe and the energy of his movies. And I always want to give myself to them in a way that Nolan just rubs me the wrong way. And yes, folks, I know I'm a snob. But the same thing happens to me. I think I think the first Denny Villeneuve movie I saw was Prisoners. And in that movie, Hugh Jackman's daughters get kidnapped and, and it turns into this whole revenge drama. And it's it's all really well done and it's really sober and it's, you know, appearing into the abyss. The thing that I could not stand about that movie was you don't know who Hugh Jackman is. You don't get to see him before his daughters are kidnapped. And so he just plays one note the whole time, which is rage. And Hugh Jackman does a good job. He does what's asked of him. But I just remember being like, who is this guy? And what are you saying about him? This is really frustrating because I can see going two ways. I can see a one-dimensional character who's just like a symbol or an icon. You know, this is paternal rage. Mm -hmm. I could see that. And maybe that's what they were going for. Or I could see this is a three-dimensional character with nuance and with some to use a pretentious word, some interiority. I, I could see that. But there, but this character is this weird kind of hybrid where you, he has all the kind of feeling of a character who should be three-dimensional, but then he's not. He only and, does one-dimensional He only things. does one-dimensional things. And that was huge. And so, and Jake Gyllenhaal comes in and is fun for a little bit in this, in that movie. And oftentimes supporting characters will get to have a little life. But the way that Hugh Jackman is portrayed in that movie, drives me nuts. And then Arrival, same thing. Amy Adams, it's like she makes this, it's not just that she makes the decision she makes at the end, it's that it's not particularly motivated. I don't know who Amy Adams is and why she makes that decision. It doesn't really come out of anything besides, but then she has all these quirks and Amy Adams gives a good nuanced performance and it feels like she's supposed to be somebody. Well, if, if, if I can... What what I think, and I think this is true for Prisoners too, is that the purpose of Amy Adams in that movie or Hugh Jackman is to be the avatar of the theme. And so, you kind of, you kind of create a three-dimensional character, but then the point of arrival is sort of a determin- a weird determinism, a mm. weird, just, it's just weird. But it has this, th- this thing and Amy Adams is there to be the avatar at the end. So, it's like she's, she's foredoomed. So, is Hugh Jackman. Whatever, however he plays the character and gives it three dimensions. Right. In the, at the end of the day, his purpose in Villeneuve's movie is, you are the avatar of my theme. Right. And I, I, maybe, there's, maybe it's just a taste thing, but I I don't think it's just a that. taste thing. I, I, it feels so like these are your puppets in a way, in a way that... Well, he's supposed to believe that Amy Adams looked at the life that she was going to have and decided that despite the suffering and the pain and knowing the outcome, it was beautiful and worth living every moment. 
Right. Of. And despite the fact that Jeremy Renner was never going to understand her knowing and making that choice and putting him through what she did. But he gets to be the avatar for any audience member who's just furious at her and thinks it was entirely selfish. Right. But then, yeah, it's all wrapped up in that sort of determinism that... But it's weird. It's like I can stand, I can handle Luke Skywalker just being an icon or an avatar. I can handle Obi-Wan just being father figure, mentor. Like, that's fine. You know, I'm not against one-dimensional characters, actually. I'm also not against, obviously, not against three-dimensional characters. But Villeneuve always does this thing where they sort of... And Oscar Isaacs is a perfect example of this. The way that he messes up in a, in a way that's maddening. Duke, Duke Leto in this movie, where I get it. He's one-dimensional father, mentor, husband guy, leader guy, dignified leader guy. And then in one sense, he's supposed to be this complicated figure, but it lands somewhere in the middle. And it's just like it, he, we're going to have one little scene at the end where he's like, I should have married you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you're not yeah, giving the graveyard scene too. Yeah. But you're, but those scenes, they work in and of themselves. They play well in isolation, but it's like, it doesn't actually add up to a three dimensional character, right. nor does it add up to, nor does it delete down into a one dimensional character. A yeah. Sicario, I'll just finish my rant and then we can talk about doing Sicario. Same thing. Emily Blunt. Who is she? Why is she hmm. Benicio del Toro? Who is he? Why is he? I get he's an avatar of revenge and he goes farther than we expect him to. Ooh, oh, wow. I'm so impressed. Denny Villeneuve, but you, you know, it's like, he wants to gaze into the abyss in all of these movies. And it's like, mm-hmm. the abyss is interesting. The abyss is full of sloppy things and things that are unexpected and personality. You in your movie? Not interesting. Yeah. You, you're like, the abyss is just a drone. It's just a, uh-huh. it's just one flavor. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's, 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 that's not, there, there actually is irony and humor and life that comes out of even the most depraved situations. And, it's not that his movies have to be yuck fests, but I just, the perspective that he comes to these stories again and again and again and again drives me nuts. Blade Runner, same thing. And Dune, I think because I went in so thoroughly prepared to, like, I've hated every other Denny Villeneuve movie. I just, I'm like, okay, it's pretty, whatever. And, you know, I, I didn't feel as betrayed by it because I've already felt betrayed by this guy like five times and I, and I hate him. I mean, he is, he is, he's one of the worst filmmakers. And I hate, I've been trying to think of, like, I want to come into this podcast and I don't want to make young men who are intrigued by prisoners feel too bad. Like, like I don't just want to say grow up, but obviously I just want to say grow up. Like, this guy has no insight into the abyss. Like, I've, I've stared into the abyss, folks. We've all on this podcast stared into the abyss. The abyss is a much more interesting place than... Denny Villeneuve's stupid idea of the abyss and people are much more interesting than his stupid idea of people. Uh And I I just, he drives me crazy. It it drives me bonkers. Like he's just uniquely talented and uniquely blind in the way that he constructs his stories. And it's hard to even really put your finger on like, what is it about Oscar Isaacs that doesn't quite come alive? What is it about Chalamet How do you have movie. somebody with the warmth and the gravity and the dimensionality that Oscar Isaacs has and fail to get a Duke Leto that you would follow into battle and die for and that you would mourn? Well, the, the frustrating thing is, though, you could, see, you could see him a movie where he's badly directed 
And you're just like, ah, that's bad. But you feel like when the camera was rolling, Oscar Isaac probably gave a good performance. It looks like he's giving a good performance. You, you know he has it in him. You see it there kind of on the screen and in individual scenes, but it just does not add up to a character that you care about. And, and Baron Harkonnen is another really good example of this thing I'm ranting about. Like, who mm-hmm. is this guy? Yep. He's not really evil personified like the Emperor, you know, Emperor Palpatine on the one hand, but he's also not really developed beyond evil personified, you know, beyond yep. just saying income. I want income. Like who who is this guy? He's not he's not allowed to just be an icon, nor is he allowed to be a character. And it's like you kind of have to choose one, Villeneuve, or or you have to find a more interesting way to split the difference maybe i, I don't know it, it, doesn't costuming carry the day <laughs> no the costuming is cool <laughs> villeneuve loves ceremony yeah in his movies and like i felt like this movie was almost all ceremony like he doesn't what you're saying about not developing a character that you believe in off the screen extends to the world of dune mm-hmm. like what i found as the movie went on and on and finally got to the end is you know what the fremen are really stupid and i don't believe in them and you have failed to make me believe in them or even care. And you never I, tried. I, I don't believe in these spaceships yeah. existing off the screen either. Every little thing like that. I don't believe that this desert is a desert planet yep. the second we cut away from it. Isn't that I weird? I just don't. It's like, weird. These ships. It's like, how many times are we going to cut to these uh, oblong cylinders that are moving super slow? And it's really pretty shots. And then it's just like, they don't live. They don't survive. That's weird. They don't like, I can't even, I can hardly reconstruct any of them in my mind except for the dragonfly thropters. Well, and like, those were pretty good. Those, those were probably cool. his biggest success actually. Yeah. Arrakis is the <laughs> big failure though, because what you want yeah, in this movie is yeah. we all talk about Arrakis, Arrakis and we whisper about Arrakis. And then when we finally get there, it, it, you have to have this feeling of, whoa, we're finally on Arrakis. We've spent 40 minutes. You know, it's like, we're finally Give seeing King Kong. Stupid. Like it, again, it's like George Lucas as bad as we got a buzz i can't hear it i can i don't hear it either okay Uh, i'll just power through george lucas is bad of a filmmaker as he is he's gonna give you the moment where luke is standing on the edge of the dune before the twin sons mm -hmm. and it's gonna be like the thing that as a kid like takes your breath away and makes you wonder how they did that and did they go to some planet? Like, you know, yeah. you're like five years old. It's like, did they go to a planet that has two sons to film this movie? Like, yeah. how did they do it? Like, this is another world. Mm. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, neither, you don't get that. Neither Caladan or Arrakis have. It, 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 it's no. The problem begins at the very beginning with the dream sequence. You're just like, oh, well, there's Arrakis. Looks cool, I yeah, guess. Except what really looks cool is what's her face? in her little burka oh man poor zendaya she doesn't get to do anything in she this doesn't movie. do anything except be in half of the movie in these dream sequences that we keep cutting to yeah and then when we finally get her it's pretty i mean i would say that her performance is the biggest letdown of the in terms of performances just because she doesn't quite know how to be the mysterious charney hard-edged yet romantic yet well, I, I have sympathy for that because how what woman could play that part? Well, There's I, not I, yeah, actually a part to play. Herbert didn't write one to start with, and then Villeneuve didn't make any decisions that helped. Be uh, the personification of everything that the hero wants, but also be hard edged, but also be a free desert spirit, but also be 
like there's there's nothing there to actually play. Yeah. I mean, to me, what's funny is the world grew in a sense of being arbitrary as the movie went on. Mm. That's just not a normal thing, even for a movie that's not very good. I don't think. Yeah, it's weird. There's there's so much that feels tactile in terms of, oh, I could reach out and touch that. Like, they, yes. they've done a good job with special effects and Villeneuve knows how to shoot these things. But then Arrakis itself, like, you don't get the sense of a civilization that extends beyond the corridors of Duke Leo's little, <laughs> little palace. You know, you see shots of, like, the Arabic kind of people looking through the windows and stuff, but you don't get the sense of there's anything happening off screen. And I'm not sure how to put my finger on that failure it, exactly. It, there's some kind of failure of connective tissue. I'm sure of that. <clears throat> Transitioning shots in visual language, it seems like you get more shots that move from one place to the next to show you the whole world is made of sand. You know, I don't know what it is really, mm -hmm. but something like that. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> it's, weird. It is, it's, it's really weird. If you took a still of any one moment, it would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it, oh, you'd yeah. be hard-pressed to find a moment where that wasn't true. Yeah. And yet. Yeah. But it's it's less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yeah, if you watched any scene in isolation, I'm not sure that you wouldn't say, oh, this is probably the greatest Dune movie of all. If you just watched the Gam well, Jabbar scene or, yeah, you know. You just watched the trailer. Or the sandworm right. scene. I mean, any, any of the kind of iconic moments, it's like, I don't know how you could do them better. I mean, right. the knife fight at the end is pretty lame. The knife fight is such a letdown. And it's a great knife fight in the book. Uh, one of the great action scenes in literature. Um, I actually like that knife fight maybe the best of any action scenes. Well, I just thought well, the, that's the because there's was, no action. The action was... Oh, I know. Like... Oh, I know. I, I, but the reason I liked it, 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 it was half decent as a, as a knife fight, but it was the only time I actually cared about Paul. It's like, oh, Paul now has to kill someone. For some reason, I was like, oh, okay, this is a character beat. But I can identify with. But you lose that sense of the sweatiness of it all. Mm -hmm. Because the way that that scene was constructed, Paul just, gotcha, gotcha again, gotcha again, don't want to kill you, gotcha again, don't want to kill you, okay, it's done. Right. Yeah. Like, the tension of it. <clears throat> yep. The sweatiness, the Paul has to work really hard it. to kill that guy in the yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. I haven't read the book as recently as you fellas, but yeah, it's true. Pause to work hard, actually hard in the fight itself and hard emotionally to pull the trigger. And you just don't get any of that. But that's a big part of what makes that whole action scene great in the book. Right. Uh, yeah. Barg. Uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. It is. And you practically forget that that, that Stilgar is Javier Bardem. Because he's just such a zero of a character to like, it's just. Did you, did you like his opening scene? The scene where he talked with Leto? Because I like that. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. You mean when Bardem makes his entrance? Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was a fine scene. I would say the yeah. middle section of this movie was probably my favorite before the Harkonnens attacked when they, when they were just kind of getting used to Arrakis. That, that's fun stuff in the book and the movie can't help but be a little interesting as we. I liked it when they went and saw the sandworm with Dr. Kynes or whatever. Mm -hmm. That 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 stuff was all pretty that good. That scene I was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I liked that uh, the Mintet guy. I don't know what actor that was. Oh, the guy with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good. Yeah. He was actually another warm presence. Well, that's, the, that's the other thing is I imagine people listening to this podcast who liked the movie and they're like, 
come on. They actually went out of their way to make it warmer than the book. They're, they're, they're always going to throw in shots where Tim, Timothy Chalamet runs up and gives a hug to Duncan Idaho. Josh Brolin is going to be allowed to bring as much warmth to, as he can. But it's like none of it actually connects or no. b- beyond. I will admit Duncan Idaho, I think, works nicely. And I'm a fan of he, Rebecca Ferguson. I, I thought she brought a lot of character to that part. I, I've never liked Lady Jessica as a character. Like, I don't like her in the book and I don't like her here. But I thought you feel like this character is somebody that she has real mm-hmm. dreams and hopes and fears and things like that in a, yeah. in a way that you don't with Oscar Isaac or many of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, any number of scenes you could cut. And if you'd shown it before the movie, it'd make you excited about the movie. Yeah. If you cut the scene where... Chalamet, where Paul and uh, Gurney Halleck have their little fight scene, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in the mood. Well, what is mood? Yeah, it's fight. cool. All that works. Little pieces work in and of themselves, but man, what a slog, what a drag. Yep. And I, I just kept waiting for the moment I would, I would start to care and be sucked in, and it just never came. It has a way of keeping you at arm's length the whole time. You're actively trying to enter as a viewer coming in with all this goodwill. Yeah, I found myself actively wanting... Oscar Isaac's scene in the graveyard is a good example of that, where you're just like, okay, this should work for me. I've seen a million scenes like this. They always work. He's not going to be as wise of a dad as you wished he would be, but he's, I, can, I can give myself to this. I like getting advice from a good dad in a graveyard and talking about grandpa. Yeah, and it's going to be sincere and warm and... Yeah, it's weird. And I don't think it's because Xiaomei does a good job or a bad job. I think he does. I think he does a great job. Great. I think everybody does exactly what's asked of them. I don't know. Part One thing that I thought was you should never hire somebody to adapt Dune in particular as a property who loves Dune as much as Denny Villeneuve obviously loves Dune. This whole thing is <sighs> shot through with such adoration for the, sh- the source material. No, that's it's a like mistake. The source material actually doesn't deserve like... A slightly more sarcastic take on this, just a little bit of distance from the material, a little bit of perspective on the material, or, or even just a perspective on the material. I'm yeah, not that's sh- what I want. I'm not sure what Denny Villeneuve actually thinks. I have of- no idea. I know he loves it. I know he thinks Dune is really great, but, but I don't why? know why. Like, yeah. what what is it that he actually likes about Dune? You can't say based on this movie. You can say some things he doesn't care about. He doesn't care about action that much. But I'm not sure whether he like I expected it to lean because they they talked so much on the press tour because of course they did about the sex politics. I thought, oh, he likes that aspect. No. But no, you you really don't get anything interesting with Lady Jessica. No, uh, they, they make no deal out of the fact that they gender swapped Doctor Kynes. No, nope. you can if be forgiven for forgetting that Doctor Kynes was a man in the book because right. they just don't care. The the relationship with between Leto and Jessica is nothing. You don't even hardly get a scene between them except for at the very end right before he dies. Puts her to sl- she puts him to sleep. Right. And, and it's like, oh yeah, we forgot to make these characters a thing. And they're a big the, the warmth of their relationship and the fact that he loves her but can't marry her. Like all that stuff is in the book. Is in the book and adds a lot of warmth yeah. Yeah, to yeah, the I, story. I remember that. I One thing I the whole movie is visually Spartan. It's like, it's the Dune and nothing but the Dune. Mm-hmm. So help me Dune. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, all, all you're getting is, well, here's the grand architecture. Is it furnished? Does it have human touches? Does it have messiness and weirdness? Mm-hmm. No. Why would it? You don't need that. Well, David Lynch, I'm going to guess, didn't make that mistake. 
No, David Lynch made the opposite mistake, which right. is this all feels like a soap opera with a bunch of people behaving ridiculously. But <laughs> but but it's fun, you know. I mean, right? It feels human and messy and unpredictable and colorful. Yeah, yeah. That's what Lynch is going to bring. Yeah, I, I put a, a very silly scene with bad special effects in our Slack channel with the scene where spoiler alert. And I watched the whole stupid thing. Right, but you know that scene. It's like. Aaliyah springs on the Baron and she pulls out his plugs and he starts floating around and he's like, (laughs) and then we cut to Paul and his buddy on the sandworm and they've got big grins on their face. (laughs) It's like, these are human beings. It might be corny. It might be stupid, but these are real people. I really like the, the, uh, just, uh, point and do a weird recoil thing. And we'll put that all in in post Mm -hmm. kind of, of the battle. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It was. I, 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 this, the, the dude, the David Lynch Dune, if people haven't seen it, it has a lot of, or no, it has maybe two or three scenes that are David Lynchian, by which I mean just grotesque, but overall, it's actually a lot of fun, I think. I mean, it's, 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 it's worth seeing, I think, if only as kind of a silly counterpoint to the ponderous slog that is Denny Villeneuve's Dune. It's just, it's fun to see how different sensibilities approach this, this material. Yeah. Well, I think what I was trying to say with the Spartanness contrasted with Lynch is like, even in the sense of making me believe this is a living and functioning household on Arrakis, like, where are the things? Like, I don't know. Having Paul wake up and eat a meal with his mom was nice. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, you're just people. But that kind of thing doesn't happen much at all. Well, it's weird because there will be... It's like it happens in the center of the frame, but it never happens at the periphery. So, the center of the frame, you'll see a little robot lamp floating forward. Yeah, and you'll be like, yeah. they, they put all this energy into making this robot lamp feel there and li- alive That's right. and That's right. tactile. But then the environment itself does not it's have the bare. feeling of like, George Lucas would never make that mistake. There'd be little robot servants in the background. And we That's cut right. to montages of who's doing what. and right. If you're going to make me care about Shadow Mapes and her weirdness and then the fact that she's killed, then you're going to give me a little something else with Shadow Mapes, the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that I know, oh, yeah, she's a person. But you, but you, but you won't. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you won't. The, the, the George Lucas version of we're going to see Baron Harkonnen, you can imagine there'd be a little droid. Like, it'd be a whole right. world of what this chamber is and what it's used for. As far as this movie is concerned, this chamber is used so that Baron Harkonnen can rise evilly out of the muck. And That's right. You know, it doesn't exist for any other reason than the theatrics. It, it reminds me of something a film critic said about Spy Game once, which is that there's a scene where Brad Pitt and Robert Redford are having an argument on top of the roof. And, they, and it, Brad Pitt throws a chair off the roof and then he sits down in a third chair. And the implication, because of the rooftop not being a normal place you'd sit, is that they brought up three chairs <laughs> so that he could throw one off the roof and then sit down in the other. Right. And like, what? Anyway. <laughs> well, so much of, of these scenes also feel like uh, Villeneuve saying, hey, remember that one thing from Star Wars? Mm-hmm. This is where it came from. Hey, remember that one thing from Star Wars? This is where it came from. Hey, remember that one thing that. from Star Wars? This is where it came from. Oh, did you think that Jabba the Hutt came from what George Lucas's brain? No, it came from Baron Harkonnen. So did the Emperor. Hey, you remember that scene where Anakin had to kill the little uh, robot bug that was going to assassinate? Hey, guess where that came from? Hey, you remember the thing that? Hey, remember the thing? Hey, remember the thing? I Lucas stole. Lucas stole. Lucas stole. Herbert's better. Dune's better. And I've done it better. 
I would love it if uh, he did that and pulled it off. I mean, I, I I would be okay with that sort of moxie if he was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm better. I mean, I, I could actually see a filmmaker having a lot of sadistic glee. Yeah, but yeah, you, you have to actually be better. Well, but <laughs> yeah, you're just reminding me that when you see Jabba in Return of the Jedi, you you instantly understand. Oh, I know who Jabba is and what he wants and what he's doing. And his palace feels like a functioning palace full of flunkies and functionaries and alien races and gross and, weird and, and corners, gross, weird and, corners and. There's yep. things in the shadows that you'll never know what they are, but you just know there was something gross over there or something behind that grate. Dune, Dune is like an incredibly clean world, like absolutely, like spotlessly clean. There's not a detail that isn't there for some didactic purpose. Right. It's like... And yet there's a million really well done details for didactic purposes, which is what kind of makes it confusing because... That it, don't add up to a world. If he's going to show you a lamp, it's going to feel like a really well designed, lived in yeah, lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But there's not going to be one of those in the background. I mean, the weirdest thing for me is where are the people of Arrakis, Arrakis the non-Fremen? Fram- yeah. We get a couple scene, you know, there's a scene where they're chanting, but it's like, you just don't have the feeling of a functioning city. And that's oh, a no. That, that's a no. And also, where do all these legions of soldiers go? Right, right. We've got all of these like straight out of Nazi Germany formation, Heil Hitler house legions of House Atreides, and then they just like they disappear, and then they all of a sudden they show up like right in front of the house when they need to. You know, it's just like none of it makes. Hmm any sense you don't have any feeling that things are happening and these what are these guys doing sitting in some kind of chamber somewhere until the, a battle happens like mm-hmm. what what is going on again yeah connective tissue it's not there it's not you you don't have a scene in the barracks you don't have a scene where gurney halleck walks past his main officers and they salute you don't you just don't have you don't have the connective tissue to connect the atreides to the city the city to the planet gurney halleck to the rest of the military yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I know you in particular, Ben, are not a big fan of these, and we've dunked on them a thousand times in the podcast, but it actually did make me appreciate Peter Jackson a little bit. Like, uh-huh. the Shire feels Definitely. like a place. Rivendell feels like a place. Agreed. You know. Agreed. Jackson and, understands some basic things about this. Well, for as much as people dunk on him for his establishing <coughs> shots, his establishing shots do a whole lot of work. Establishing, they, yeah. They establish things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dune has a giant establishing shot of the city, uh, but it doesn't look like a real city. Yeah. You can't tell what it actually is, what all the structures are. You can't, you don't even have a basic grasp of like, oh, it's a market down there. Or, We're not going to cut and see any market activity. We're no. not going to send anybody out on a journey into the streets. We don't care. You, you don't have to care when you've got... Well, that's yeah. the thing. We want every shot and every scene to feel like part of this grander myth. And it's like, actually, that's wrong. At a certain point, things need to settle down and we just need to be with Paul as he goes to his bedroom and walks past right. a bookshelf. That's right. what anchors us in when the big mythic moments come. It's, that it's this big mythic shot that we're telling you is big and grand and mythic. And Zimmer, you better score this so that it underscores the fact that it's big and grand and mythic. And so fill it with womps <laughs> and with ethnic screaming people. Womps, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of womps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was ever, I'd be so insulted. Like, oh, you want my, you, you wanted me for my womps and my ethnic screaming people? Like, can I do something I think, else? <laughs> I think Z- 
Zimmer in his interview sounded just as How about pretentious as Villeneuve. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how about electric bagpipes? Well, Can I do that? They they both talked about how the story is really one of feminine empowerment and oh, women in the Bene Gesserit. So we want women to be vocally telling this story. So let's oh. get the same vocal effect from Gladiator and just do it again and throw in some womps. I mean, is it like an hour and a half of the movie that's those grandiose womps with grand images trying to trying to con- at least grab you by the shoulders at and least tell you I'm going to say that if important. you if you took all the womps and ethnic ladies <laughs> with big long shots of nothing that are beautiful and you pulled out the actual little bits of dialogue and story that aren't just exposition drops it, it's somewhere between an hour and a half to two hours of that plus plus <laughs> Zendaya just sort of like having the sun behind her and looking pretty Man, I bet that's a full hour and a half to two hours of just that garbage. It may be. And, 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 and the trailer delivers all you need of it or all I need of it. Mm. The trailer did deliver it. I mean, it, the trailer showed me a world and felt like it was holding back on and hiding the story and the character and the everything else they were going to give you. And it's like, well, that world is cool. And those actors are cool. And you're holding everything else back, and that's cool too. Mm-hmm. Actually, so much promise. Yep. Yeah. No, it's just the trailer expanded <sighs> out over two hours plus thirty minutes of action and dialogue that you didn't get to see here. Okay, thanks. <sighs> that's so interesting. It, it. What it made me think of is, well. My my point of comparison during the movie was actually King Arthur mm-hmm. and the Legend of the Shield, the Legend or of sword. the Sword, <laughs> <laughs> because it actually it sets up Guy Ritchie just knows how to have fun mm-hmm. actually, and this movie does not know how to have any fun, mm-hmm. and there's all these little fun touches in a Guy Ritchie movie, even if he wants to be epic and throw in some grand pretentious fairy tale shots, which he does sure pretty regularly in King Arthur to success. But it's successful because it's set off by, these are real human beings like you and me, and sometimes we're going to be kind of silly about it, and Mm -hmm. this is going to be a lot of fun. And if we have a sword fight, it's going to be fun. Right. And I don't know. You just just take away all the warmth and... The warmth in life and just the real mundane. You know, the scene that always anchors Rivendell for me in uh, the original Fellowship of the Ring is the scene where Boromir is standing in front of a mural, and he pricks his finger on the sword and they're they're just in this little obvious set that's like a a museum a a little corner of rivendell Mm -hmm. and i and i like rivendell i like the ethereal autumnal leaves are coming down in slow motion with all these statues overgrown with ivy i like all that stuff but just having that little room off to the side where we have some Mm -hmm. museum pieces really makes rivendell feel like a place and Dune just doesn't have those little moments where we, <laughs> where we're like, yes, it does, Nathan. It has the moment where Paul is walking beside a mural or something of a sandworm, and the movie is expositing sandworm lore to you. <laughs> Did that not bring you into the world more fully? <laughs> you know, it's like every shot is an illustration for the Dune Folio Society Dude. illustrated, and it's like you actually don't want every shot to be like that. You you want some of the shots to just be like. Here's the shot where he's walking to the place. Here's Luke Man. Skywalker not standing in front of the suns. Here, here he's just drinking yeah. some milk. 
You know, the uh, another really good point of comparison is Ryan Johnson, of all people, in Last Jedi. He knows how to build out those worlds uh, so that they feel so lived in and real and spectacular and mythical. Nothing felt, nothing has felt more like Star Wars in all of Star Wars, maybe even including the original trilogy than The Last Jedi. Mm. It's just that he yeah. told a terrible story, but... Just, yeah, hates everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Star Wars. Yeah. And decided uh, to deconstruct the whole mythos. We needed Ryan Johnson's Dune, really. Like, yeah, that might have been actually cool. Hey, guys, this story's crap, by the way, but... Uh, here's <laughs> but I'm cool- going to tell the heck out of... <laughs> and it might give you a good action story, too, in the process. Yep, yep. Which, can we maybe just litigate that for five seconds? The action, yeah. What in the world? Like, everything is set for you to, to have a great time and be excited by Jason Momoa beating down evil baddies. Mm. And... And instead, it's just like, I'm expositing another thing that happened. Yeah. Jason Momoa was having fun, and he was excited, but I don't want you to be too excited about this. This is just part of the grim, grand, serious story of Dune. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the Harkonnen attack. It plays more like a scene from Apocalypse Now than it does yeah. from an actual war movie. It's like, here's mm-hmm. the grand color and yes. you know majesty of, of the space attack. But you don't ever really get to put yourself in Brolin's shoes or in Timothy Chalamet's shoes. Yeah, if Harkonnen could have been more of a, of a uh, Colonel Kurtz, or if we could have had, yeah, I mean, speaking of yeah, just let these actors bring some personality. To ceremony, you. ceremony, yeah. ceremony at every turn. It's about visual order, and I don't know. What am I trying to say? There's a way to do both. You can hire Ian, Mc, whatever his name Darmid. is, uh, the emperor. You can have him sit in a chair, wear a robe, dress like death from the seventh seal, and and cackle, and cackle, <laughs> and, 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 and be, have a big like space canvas behind him. And you can give you all the ceremony you want. And then he could still be a human being there occupying the center. Yep. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is a good actor. He can wear all that makeup, and you can still give him room to be playful and to give us a real thought-out Baron Harkonnen of one type or another. And the Baron is one of the big disappointments of a movie with many big disappointments because you could go so many directions. You know, you could have him be just an avatar of evil. You could also just have him be more of a Colonel Kurtz kind of balding, gross businessman type. I mean, there's there's any just any number of ways you can do it, but they're just like, he's a monster man! <laughs> that Three different it's times, rises the, up into again, the ground. It's about the visuals. It's like, well, why do the compelling thing about Oscar Isaacs isn't his ability to act or to be human or to bring warmth. It's that he looks like really great with a beard and <laughs> Which, with his puppy dog eyes. Let's be fair, he does. He'll communicate between his puppy dog eyes and his grizzled beard. He'll communicate warmth and gravity and sadness and all of these things so what we just need is a shot of him with his grizzled beard and his puppy dog eyes with the sun behind him right and that's all we need and the same with baron harkonnen if we can just do the everything right in costuming and we can turn Selen skarsgård into a slug mm-hmm. that'll be enough and it's so he believes in the power of images is what you're saying in, but a, nothing, in a particular but, but, but way. But nothing more. Right. Yeah. I mean, every filmmaker believes in the power of images. I, I, I know. I'm just trying but, to get to whatever it is. Well, let's compare it to another filmmaker who directs things so over the toply 
that, you know, it's just the sealed world where people can barely act. They just have to pose. Zack Snyder. And mm-hmm. we actually liked his Justice League yeah. because I think Zack Snyder just had an angle on the material. And it was actually a dumb angle on the material. But it was an angle. But it was a... It was an angle. It was an angle. It wasn't he just... He was telling a story. Right. He he knows what he thinks of Wonder Woman, and he knows what you should think about Wonder Woman. And he's just, when given the freedom, gonna do it. And it is entertaining. And that's the thing that Villeneuve's actually not bringing here is he, he, he knows how to have these people strike poses, but to what end? What does Villeneuve think of well, Duke, the Duke? What does he think of the Baron? And the other thing that he could do is present it in a way that you could bring your own angle to it. And he doesn't do that either. And that's like the, you know, we've talked about that with Lucas, right? And how much of a zero, like, I don't know. What's interesting about Snyder is he has a point of view. He has an angle. He has something to say. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about A New Hope is it's a bare bones hero's journey story. So you can come to it and you can bring whatever you want to Luke and whatever you want to Obi-Wan. Right. And all these one dimensional characters. And it still works and it's still great. And here he manages to take that away from you too. He, he doesn't give you a perspective. He doesn't give you an angle. He doesn't give you a point of view. And he does not allow you the freedom to bring your own either. It's just blah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's one simple way to do what he's what you're talking about. Well, I should say, again, that's, that's what I was trying to get at with my whole rant about what this guy always does. Because it's like with Hugh Jackman and Prisoners, again, he could have just been an icon of revenge. He could have been one-dimensional or he could have been three-dimensional. But Villeneuve always manages to do this weird hybrid thing that I hate. Where it feels like you're supposed to respond to Oscar Isaacs as a real father with real personality, and it's like, he, but he's not. He's just not. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep cutting to this bull thing as, as if it means something, as if it tells us something, as if, as if it gives us a handle on the character. And it's like, it's the kind of thing that in a good movie might give us a handle on this character, but- But you never set it up. It, it doesn't give us a handle. Well, a little bit of- Grandfather fought bulls yep, in, yep. in Where the did that graveyard, get and you think that that's enough, and you think you're, what, being subtle now? But somebody could be listening to this, and they could explain to you in analytical terms what it means, <laughs> and they wouldn't be wrong. He's he's thinking about his lineage, da 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 You know, there's a way that you could explain it. You could do the math. You could say two plus two equals four, and it it is the equation. It's there on screen. But Villeneuve, that's, that's what I find so frustrating, is that all the pieces will be there, but somehow he just doesn't assemble them in a way that makes emotional sense of, of, of. but what I was going to say earlier is the, the one easy way to do everything that he did and have it work is just invest in making Timothy Chalamet your audience avatar character. Yeah. And, so, and so he sees everyone actually as yeah. an icon, as a one to like this to, to me, this guy is just father to me. This guy is just slug Lord villain. And it's all through my eyes. It's what Luke Skywalker provides for Star Wars. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like Villeneuve wants the movie to be only in conversation with itself. It is yeah. just the most ingrown, internal. It is like, you can keep showing those bullhorns because that's what Paul sees and that's what Leto sees and you're supposed to infer that's how they think of themselves. Right. And that means something to them. But he doesn't do the work of bridging it so that it means something to you. Right. And does Villeneuve even know that he didn't do that work? That's Is he that, even aware? That's where I think he's just a hack. I, I, I don't know that he knows that because he makes that same mistake. It's like, you didn't do the work of putting me in Amy Adams' head. You didn't do the work of putting me in Hugh Jackman's head. 
and you didn't do the work of putting me in Oscar Isaac's head. And you think you did. You're acting like you're presumptuous somehow. Maybe it's one of the reasons that I get angry at these movies because it feels like he's expecting something of me, feeling he's expecting me to give him something. And I don't want to give it to him if he's not willing to do the work. Well, what else is, you know, if somebody wants to say that they liked this movie because they like style over substance, that's absolutely fine with me. I don't mind people liking this movie. I'm, I'm just thinking in my mind, like, why, why does this movie, why, why does this get such a visceral reaction out of us? If, if somebody just likes this, if they just saw it in IMAX and they thought it was cool, I don't, I don't mind that. What, what I do sort of resent is people who mistake style for substance, people who think that yeah. this movie is saying something just because the soundtrack goes womp and it takes itself very seriously and the characters speak in hushed tones and doesn't mean you've actually said anything. I mean, I mean, what, what did this movie teach you? What did it have to say? What did you even have to say about the novel Dune besides that it's cool? I, I have no idea. Yeah. I couldn't even, I mean, even, even a Nolan style hack script life lesson that was repeated a bunch of times would have been nice, but in his quest to be authentic Dune, even that, the famous Dune speech about fear is the mind killer, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, kind of fun. Yeah, I love Kind of like, oh, fear is the mind killer, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. You can't even give that to me as a moral because you're you're committed to putting it in the sound design so that I can't hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Big characters say it. Yeah. <laughs> I kept playing with the sound and I could not, I thought about turning on subtitles, but I didn't care. Yeah. Like it just, it was rough. I so that we're keeping score, yeah. and we should keep score. Eighty-four percent certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's a critic score, and the audience outdoes that significantly. Ninety-one percent audience score. Huh. So we are on the we're wrong side of. We're on the right side of history. We're on the right on side of history, but we're on the wrong side of the crowd. On wrong this side one. of Nowstry. Interesting. What else do I want? Let's see what Metacritic says. Metacritic will be less kind just because it always is, but mm-hmm. probably not significantly. Eternals gets 57. It's already gotten reviews? Apparently. Huh. Uh, so, Metacritic is uh, 74. That's a really good Metacritic's rating, actually. Yeah. An 8 point, excuse me, an 8.2 user score. Huh. People so just like this movie. People just like it. But I think I, I think people sincerely like this movie. Uh, why do people sincerely like this movie so much? This is a new poster that I haven't seen before, but look at the look at the poster. Yeah, I've seen that poster. I yeah, I think I've seen that. That looks a lot like the Arrival poster, actually. It looks yeah. like the Arrival poster. It also looks like Star Wars. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't personally mind them trying to take on Star Wars. I, I think what else can you do? Either you you have to either lean away from it and lean into it, and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot if you lean away from it. So you might as well just say. I'm coming for you, Star Wars. Like that's that's really your only move if you're making Dune of all things. Yeah. Um, and and listen, Star Wars deserves it. Star Wars does. Wouldn't it be cathartic if this movie took on Star Wars and just wiped the floor with it? Yeah, it would have been awesome. It. Yeah, I was hoping it would. So I can't blame them for. I was rooting for this movie. Yeah. I was rooting for this movie too. So are we crazy? What what is it that so, everybody else is enjoying about this movie? First of all, I wonder how many people have gone and seen it outside of the critics. It made nice money on the weekend. It, it, had, it had a good weekend. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I saw that it did well enough that they greenlit the sequel. 
Yeah, it didn't. Also, they did it on condition of a theatrical exclusive release. So right. I assumed it didn't do as well in theaters as they hoped. It did not do as well as Venom or I think Venom Let There Be Carnage is going to be the big money maker this year, which is a sad state of affairs for cinema and society. But be that as it may, I don't no, think it's Spider-Man will be the big money maker. Yeah, that's true. You're not beating it. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think we just we we as a people might be stupid enough that Venom will make almost as much or as much money as Spider-Man. No. James Bond, I think, is going to beat it, which is kind of nice to see my boy Bond uh, wiping the floor with this nerdy dreck. Nothing nerdy about James Bond. Nothing out right now beats it on Metacritic. Arabato, sorry, beats it. Whatever that is. Don't know. But there again... Rotten Tomatoes, all that means is that a majority of critics Metacritic, gave it a pass. Metacritic, not Rotten Tomatoes. Well, Metacritic too, to some extent. It just means a lot of people thought it was okay. It doesn't necessarily right. mean... It's easier for a movie that's middling sometimes to get a good score, as I've said before on this podcast, because a movie that's provocative and interesting, some people are just not going to like it, or they're going to say it didn't quite work, and that's going to skew the score down. Whereas if everybody says, eh, it was pretty okay... That can be like 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. But I ask again, gentlemen, why do people like this movie? Because we've had, we've not had a lot of movies to begin with for the past two years that are new. We've had not had a lot of movies engaging in epic fantasy franchises that have any kind of serious tone or have taken cinematography seriously. Right. They've just CGI'd over everything. Marvel feels boring and old and who saw black widow enough few enough people that scarlett johansson sued who's gonna see eternals it's trying to compete i guess shang chi like this what else is there yeah i I think you're right i think people are hungry for myth making that takes itself seriously and I, i think people are willing to give cut this movie all kinds of slack simply because it's an adequately mounted production of a hero's journey that takes itself seriously and has some grandeur and, you know, hits the beats. I, I think people are really hungry for it. I don't know that Marvel has really fed us a good meal in a long time and Star Wars is falling down on the job. And Zack Snyder is kind of weirdly the only thing that's <laughs> fed our impulse for grand you know, myth making anytime. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. I mean, and what are you going to, as an alternative in the last year, you're going to get James Gunn deconstructing everything for you in the most grotesque way possible. And like, black widow just being boring and bar- barely being boring. And yeah, like there's just nothing. It's a desert out there. <laughs> out yeah. Desert named Arrakis. And people are just glad they found some spice and it's, and they don't mind being eaten by the sandworms. Mm-hmm. And, and by that metric, I like this movie, actually. Okay. I mean, I, I enjoyed the process of watching it enough. Uh, I fully admit some of it may have just been, well, we need an interesting podcast, and Jake's already come out of the gate really strong on just hating this thing. So uh, I saw it before Nathan and Ben, and I let them know how I felt about it right, right. away. Uh-huh. But, you know, it'd be interesting to... Uh, if, if you were Which Amy Adams... Which is pretty Adams, rare. I, I normally... No, I normally hold my cards pretty tight. No, you were you were you were hot about this one in a way that I just hated it. I really did. (laughs) Right. 
And and what what did that do to the timeline? What would have happened if you hadn't evaded it? Would, would Nathan have then decided in his callow, two-dimensional way that he hates it because he must be different? We'll never know. We'll never, never know. know. We're not Amy Adams. We, we know. Yeah. I think we know. I actually think I would have landed about the same i think i think i hate i think i would have landed the same i I think i hate denny villeneuve so much that the contrarian in me was ready to say it's okay or something like that i I don't know i can't explain how my brain works but the equation would have come to eh, this is kind of fun i guess i mean i did i like the sandworms i i like this stuff and it was pretty i I like the sandworm except you know who did a sandworm better John Favreau. And the reason John Favreau did it better may not be because the worm Favreau constructed was actually better, but he gave us a really cool action scene with a monster. Yep. That beat the pants off anything in this movie. Yep. Yeah, it really did. Yep. Like, I would go back and watch that scene. I'm not going to go back and even watch. There's nothing I want to go back. They're not a thing. I don't care. I don't want to go back and see the sand monster. The sandworm in this movie. If I want to see a sandworm, I'll go back and I'll watch the really cool, fun action scene that Favreau already gave us. See, that's where I feel a little different. Like I would, I would put this movie on in the background and just let it, you know, be a series of kind of the MTV playing at, in the background of my uh, nerdy board game party or something. I don't, I don't know. Like, it's hard for me to imagine a circumstance where this would actually happen, but I thought it was pretty. I enjoyed the ceremony and the pageantry as far as it went. It didn't go nearly far enough for me to say this is a good movie. And Denny Villeneuve is just a brainless... Uh, I, I I hate him. I mean, I feel a visceral... You know, Rogue One did more to evoke the feeling that he... Yeah, it, he yeah, did, did a better job of being pretty. Yeah, it but. did. It did. Yep. This movie did nev- never made you feel like Arrakis had the kind of weight of history that uh, the simple shot of us flying over a collapsed... Statue Jedi statue yeah. in Rogue One or that us sailing past those watchers in uh, Fellowship of the Ring made us feel so true that is that is the big feel- failure of this movie is that it doesn't matter how many different poses Zendaya strikes in your music video you didn't make us feel Arrakis as a place uh, oh man it's weird it's weird yeah stupid I'm sure if I actually met Denny Villeneuve, he'd be a perfectly pleasant. I don't actually mean I hate him. I just, I hate what he represents. Like, there's something very pretentious and very self-satisfied and something very... Well, I said, I said that I felt like, I felt like Dr. Buckner from the Chip and Lance show could have directed this movie in... (laughs) That maybe he did. I think Dr. Buckner would have cut some scenes. I, I like, think, let's, let's speed this up a little, guys. I think he would have had actually. I think it would have been more interesting if Dr. Buckner had directed it, actually. But it has the same ponderous, pretentious, self-involved stupidity. So weird. So bad. It doesn't even manage to be grotesque in the way that Herbert is always verges on the being grotesque. It doesn't lean into anything that's erotic. It doesn't even do the bad things about the book. It it, it kind of just. It leans away so from the book. So much meh. Yeah. Oh, and poor ba- ba- Dave Batista. He doesn't get to do it. He, he does nothing. He's very well ill-served by this movie. He just kind of looks like a dork. It's not as good as Sting in the David Lynch movie. 
Sting plays that character. Oh, yeah. Fade Ratha. Yeah. yeah. I like Sting. The David Lynch cast is pretty fun. Patrick Stewart plays... Gurney Halleck. Gurney, Gurney Halleck. Patrick Stewart, back when he had hair and or he's wearing a really crummy uh, hair piece or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. David Lynch movies kind yeah, of I fun. Yeah, I saw Patrick Stewart in the clip you sent. I noticed him. Yeah, he must be Gurney Halleck because Duncan Idaho would be someone else and he'd be dead. By that point, yeah. Poor Duncan Idaho. His name sounds like a brand of potatoes. Really good at naming people that Frank Herbert. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. That was weird that they added Mandarin into this movie, by the way. Uh, Walter Shaw was having raptures about the representation or the what's what's the word when somebody of your race appears in the movie. Is it just representation? I think I, maybe yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Dr. Yui was spoke Mandarin. Neat. thought it was weird that Paul had to kill a black guy at the end. Speaking of representation, that was an odd choice. We had a number of odd choices as far as... Well, the, all, all the Fremen are going to be Middle Eastern or Northern African. Well, I would have been happy if they actually were. Like if they just cast them as Northern African straight up. But having Zendaya and Javier Bardem... And then a truly black guy beat the guy that Paul has to... Yeah, it's added some, an interesting flavor of messaging to our white savior narrative. Hey, they're the ones that set the rules. I just like to hold them to these rules because they never follow them. It's just interesting. They just beat us up with them. Anyway, Ben, how many sandworms out of 12 do you give to Denny Villeneuve's abortive attempt to the... No, how, how many? I give it... I give it maybe four. Jake? I was debating between three or four, and so I'll give it three. Boy, how many sandworms do I want to give it? Twelve. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, I mean, I cannot deny that, and maybe it was Jake just setting me up to be a contrarian, I cannot deny that me and my wife had a perfectly pleasant time watching this movie. It was just a fine HBO Max kind of Eh, this is this is passing the time, all right, kind of experience. So, yeah, I didn't actively hate it when I was watching it. I did. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I know, did. I know. I, I sat there and I was like fidgeting and bored and annoyed, and it only grew as the movie went on. And I, I mean, I don't know. Probably the first half hour, for probably the first hour, I gave it to get me, and then I just. The harder I worked, the less it had me. And I was, and Amanda fell asleep. Like, Megan and I watched it, and I don't think either of us like actively hated it. I just felt more and more annoyed and distant from it as it went. Like, eh. Yeah, as a, as a critic, I would give it maybe three or four sandworms. As, as a person who sat there and experienced it, I cannot lie. We had a seven or eight sandworm huh. experience. I mean, it was, it was, it was a, decently entertaining movie to mm. to sit on a couch and watch with the subtitles on while you looked at your phones every once in a while <laughs> <laughs> maybe just there's so many better things for that yes i i i agree that oh, it went away came back and went away my goodness there's so many better things for that for goodness sake if you're on hbo max put on the first couple of seasons of fresh prince and stare at your phone and get some fun jokes and some 
90s nostalgia and actually be enjoyable. That's fair. I mean, I'd give more sandworms to Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince might be a 12 sandworm show in certain episodes at least. (sighs) I'll give six sandworms. I'll split the difference between my critical brain and my animal brain. I I think if you go in with the proper expectations, you'll probably have an, an okay time with this one. Yeah, I think that's probably true. If you expect it to be good, then you won't have an okay time with it. If you just want some illustrated storybook, these are some cool images, and here's some Hans Zimmer assaulting your senses and making your ears bleed, then I'd rather do. I'd rather watch this than any Christopher Nolan movie. I, I would say that much. Skip them all and put on Lawrence of Arabia if that's what you want. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. So yeah, nobody is. Yes, obviously. That's what you should do is watch Lawrence of Arabia. And I mean that not ironically, Lawrence of Arabia rules. But since you're not going to do that and you're just listening to this podcast because you want to know whether to watch Dune, I think probably if, you're, if your expectations are tempered and you have the right temperament, you, you won't hate it as much as Jake. But I don't no, know. Apparently nobody does. Apparently I am in me and the 9% out there give it thumbs down. I think I'd basically give it thumbs down, but I, I also do feel like there's truth in what Nathan said in my experience. It was okay to watch. I just don't, I don't want to see it again. Yeah. And it's a big disappointment. Yeah. And it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that though, it's, it was great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Some of it might just be the fact that Meredith was awake and engaged. It really does make a difference if your spouse is like okay with something. There's yeah. a few things in life. Oh, that- no. Amanda, after she woke up, said that looked like it was going to be an interesting movie. <coughs> she, I mean, she was, she wasn't negative about it. She just couldn't stay awake for it. Right. Yeah. This feels like kind of, she a- felt bad about falling asleep. She felt like she missed out maybe. Yeah. It promised enough before she fell asleep, at least. This is weirdly the kind of a movie that I could see a wife liking because they don't actually care that much about movies. And so they're just like, hey, you know, pass the time. They they actually apply the Nathan test, the the, the other Nathan test, the non-critical Nathan test. And this movie kind of... uh, Mm -hmm. Kind of floats by. Floats by on that level. Mm -hmm. If you want an actual work of cinema, then... Bland and unobjectionable. Yeah. Okay, it fits that bill. Yeah, well, it does, it's hard and to find unobjectionable and pretty. Yeah, all yep. those things. It's sometimes it's hard to find find the right bland, unobjectionable, pretty movie to watch with your significant other. And this movie had enough of momentum or something that we kind of liked watching it. So I cannot tell a lie about that. But yeah, none, none of the criticisms that Jake has are wrong, or that we have as a group have, and 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 the people who are declaring this some kind of a masterpiece. That's just a head They're scratcher. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be nice because I'm I, not, I'm thinking of specific young men that listen to our podcast. They're like, that was awful. I am aware that there are specific young men who listen to our podcast and that I am insulting them. But guys, I always defend you and I rarely insult you. That's true. If Jake's turned on you, Mr. Like Harry Potter is good. It's the modern classic. Like, Jake always defends the everyman and the everyman's tastes. Jake just wanted a fun sci-fi adventure. Jake wasn't looking for Lawrence of Arabia. No. 
I just wanted it to be enjoyable. Right. So if, if and you, I I forgive movies so many things, but I you can't forgive it being boring. No, no, it's that C.S. Lewis quote. You know, the one thing that you can't do is be boring. Or however, he put it, he put it right. You're gonna look at C.S. Lewis. I'll just look up C.S. Lewis boring. <laughs> I'll describe a bunch <laughs> of his books. <laughs> it turns out there's a bunch of really famous C.S. Lewis, Lewis quotes about boredom. And anyway, folks, Dune. Dune. It gets a collective like three sandworms if you tally our sandworm count, which is uh, less sandworms than I think any of us expected this would be getting from this podcast. Even even as a Denny Villeneuve hater, I thought, eh, this is a this is the one for him. You know, his pretensions align nicely with Frank Herbert's pretensions, but you know who's not pretentious at all, Ben? No, who isn't, Ethan? Well, our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winner, Jacqueline. All right. What do you want to say about Jacqueline today? If if Jacqueline were a character in Dune, she would be the one that we cared about, bringing bringing the warmth and interest to, let's say, to to Denny Villeneuve's cold, austere version of Dune. The sandworm. She would make mm-hmm. it better. She'd be the sandworm. She'd be the sandworm. <laughs> <laughs> Did we care about him? Uh, <laughs> kind of. It would have been cool to see. The sandworm actually do something. I or or let's let's wrangle that sandworm and start writing it. I am still looking forward to that. They they haven't maybe I'm just the battered housewife who's going back to the place where I've been abused and expecting a different result, but I'm genuinely still looking forward to sandworm writing. The little glimpse we got of it at the very end made yeah. it look really cool. It looks cool. Yeah. Yep. When Zendaya was like, There's more exciting things that will happen in part two, Paul. Mm-hmm. This Yay. is only the beginning. Yeah, this is that's what she said. That's this right. is only the beginning. All right. Well, this is the end of our podcast. Did we, so, so we Jacqueline, mm-hmm. we compared her to a sandworm. Well, I, I, Jake did that. I, I, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. No, she's more like, boy, it's, it's hard to, she's like the Duncan Idaho of. All right. Of, of patrons. Of patrons. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome. She's loyal. And she's surprisingly likable, even in a cold desert of unlikability. Jacqueline is just likable yep and it only takes a few seconds to see how likable she is you don't even have to do much mm-hmm. we love you Jacqueline and until next time folks this is only the beginning <laughs>